stupid. We're talking about sex, and the first three rows are empty, minus Paul. So I see how that is. All right. Um, so just a quick note, uh, in case you didn't know that, that's what we're talking about today, okay? Uh, so I don't see any kids, but uh, if there are, um, then feel free to check them in. Um, I think that this is good. So if your parents are, or if your kids are in children's today, it's good to think about and to kind of chat through what this looks like to really disciple them into this area, because it is an area where in a lot of ways, there's a lot of uh, uh, blindness to, a lot of dangers, a lot of joy, and a lot of confusion even, even within the church. And so we hope that this kind of gives them a little bit of clarity into this, okay? Uh, two years ago, um, I talked about sex, and uh, we had a guest that was visiting with like a seven or eight-year-old child, and they did not know what the sermon was, and they sat throughout the whole service, all right? Uh, and needless to say, they're not covenant members right now, okay? Um, and so uh, I think that we're going to have fun, all right, and kind of reshift our brain a little bit on exactly what Scripture has to say about this topic as a whole and how it kind of uh, influences and impacts our lives, all right? I also promised Natalie that I wouldn't use her in any stories or analogies today, so <laughs> you don't have to fear that, okay? Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, we are going to jump all around. Uh, you can start off in the book of Proverbs. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some under every second second and third chair somewhere around you, uh, feel free to take and to keep that. It's our gift to you. We want you to have the word and be able to take that home and read that. And so please use that. You can also follow along on your smartphone. Uh, if you have the YouVersion app or the Bible app, underneath the events section, type in the Well Austin. You can follow along that way. Uh, you can also take this link and put it right into your browser, uh, and you can follow along with that. There's all the notes, uh, all the quotes, the sermons up there, and so we want you just to be able to follow along. So however you want to follow along, uh, please feel free to do that. We want you to see that what we're saying this morning is not coming from me, okay, but that we really believe that this is the word of God to us and, and what he thinks about this issue. So we want you to see that in whatever way uh, you choose to, all right? Now, here's what I have to imagine, okay? Um, for those of you who didn't know that we were talking about sex this morning, you're thinking either one of two things, all right? Either, oh Lord, why did I invite my friend this morning who happened to come with me, okay? Or you may be feeling slightly awkward for one reason or another just because of the kind of taboo nature of this issue, particularly in the church as a whole, okay? Here's my hope for today. I want to tell you what I want to do up front, all right? I want to paint a very, very, very broad perspective of what I think Scripture says about sex, the importance of it, what God thinks of it, uh, in hopes that you would begin to see kind of the beauty of sex and God's intention of of it in our lives and, and, and even his creation of it, okay? Which for some of us, we have to realize that it was indeed God who created sex, right? Like I just said, God is the one that created it. And I think some of us have to actually realize that. Like he knew what he was doing when he placed Adam and Eve in the garden, okay? Like he, he wasn't blind. He wasn't, he, he knew what he was doing. Remember, he placed them in the garden naked, all right? We don't have to do sex education, right? Are y'all following with me? Okay. He placed them in the garden naked. They were both unashamed. They were beautiful. And it's not like the Lord walked away for a minute and then came back and they had organs in which they can participate in sex, right? Like God is the one who created this. This isn't an intention of Satan. This isn't something that, that the devil kind of perverted and God's like, you know how much problem this is going to cause, right? Like, no, this was God who initiated this. And God placed them in the garden and God made it so that there would be something that would be enjoyed. This is from the 
Lord, okay? But we do also know that it can cause great trouble. In fact, I would uh, guess that every single one of us in here probably had some sort of negative encounter in one way or another with sex, whether it just be uh, on an individual basis or with other people or whatever it may be like. Like, it can cause great problem and great trouble. And all of us know that sex is kind of all throughout our culture too, right? Uh, 30% of advertisements use sex in order to sell their product. Okay, so almost one in three advertisements. So if you're going to watch Golden State in Portland today, just watch how many uh, sex ads there are. Go Warriors, all right? Like if you're going to watch something tonight, some show tonight, watch. It's just all over, okay? Uh, The porn industry is actually a $13 billion industry. All right, like that's a crazy stat. The really unfortunate thing behind that is that about $3 billion of the $13 billion just in America, mind you, is actually child pornography. And so all of a sudden you see how quickly sex can divert into something that's very negative and very twisted and very dangerous even. And so why in the world would God even create sex? Like if it's such a temptation and if it can cause such great heart, like why in the world would he even create it? Why is it that the world is so infatuated with sex? In fact, let me change that a little bit. Why is it that you are so infatuated with sex? Like, what is it? All of us in here, at some point or another, have had this desire to have that connection with another person, the the physical, emotional, spiritual connection. Why is it that that's something that's intrinsic in every single person's heart? I think it's because it's from the Lord, and it's a good gift. But we want to be able to see how that desire is actually going to glorify him, not cause our harm, okay? There's two views on sex that I want to hit on today, okay? The first one is kind of the religious view of sex, all right? And very, very common, what I think the religious view of sex is, is that sex is dirty. That tends to be kind of the religious view of sex, all right? This is historically called Platonism, which is from Plato. Essentially that the body is separate from the spirit is what Plato would say. And so Plato would argue that sex, because it's a bodily thing, we should try our hardest to avoid it unless it's for reproduction, like you have to, all right? Because sex is bad, because the body is bad. And that's what Plato tended to say. And a lot of religious people honestly take this exact same mentality. First of all, this is a miserable understanding of the body and soul. It separates something that God has not separated in the scripture. The body is not bad. One day God will come and physically resurrect our physical bodies. So the body isn't bad per se, but we tend to separate the two and say, oh, this is bad, right? And furthermore, that view also paints sex as very bad. What it paints it as is sort of a necessary evil, right? Like, ah, it's necessary. We, we have to use this to kind of keep creation going, but, but it's kind of bad. It's kind of dirty. It's, it's not something that we should talk about or, or think about a lot. And unfortunately, this is the view of many religious or maybe pious people, okay? People who, who, who have a lot more pious understanding. And that's not the view at all in scripture. Scripture doesn't paint sex as dirty at all. The other view, okay, is that sex is a duty, all right, or it's natural, if you will. It's a way to express oneself. It's a way to show one's creativity. It's a way to just connect with another person. A lot of times we see it as like a natural desire, sort of like eating or drinking or a natural desire. So our physical bodies, we're we're made, we crave, we desire sex. It's just a natural thing like eating is, okay? It's a duty to be done. And as long as you don't harm any 
anyone, then you should be able to have sex, especially to those whom you love. And this tends to be the, the non-religious or, or maybe the secular view, if you will, of sex. It's called realism or it's also called romanticism, okay? The problem is that this too falls far short of what scripture actually highlights what sex is. While it is a way to express love and, and creativity, it can also cause great uh, emotional, physical, psychological, even spiritual harm. And so we know it can't just be used whenever, and that tends to be the view on this side, right? Like, as long as it's done properly, and as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, then then we should be able to have sex. And so I think those are the two views. So what do we do then? Do we see it as dirty, okay, and not really talk about it or or, or think about it a lot? Or do we just see it as duty, something that's natural, something that that we should just be able to partake in whenever we want? I think both the religious and the non-religious view can create great harm, great pain, and are wildly off, okay? I think they are wildly off. Christianity actually offers a third way to think about sex. And as you begin to even study other religions, there's no other religion that paints sex the way Christianity does. Every other religion paints it as this dirty thing. But all of a sudden, Christianity comes and it offers this, this third way, which is a way of a delightful covenant, okay? That's the third, you like my alliteration there, the three Ds, all right? It's a delightful covenant, okay? Sex is a covenantal action that far from being dirty, far from being something that we shouldn't think about, it should be actually celebrated and, and highlighted and, and enjoyed in a lot of ways. It's delightful. It's something that we should take joy in. However, far from duty, and we should just do it just because it's delightful, there's actually something sacred about it. It's covenantal in its nature. There's something more that just happens than a physical expression or a connection with other people. It's a sacrament of sorts even to be able or to to, to be handled with extreme caution and extreme care that we may experience the full benefits and rewards that sex has to offer. Okay? So um, we can go through literally hundreds and hundreds of passages about sex. If you're ever just interested in what the Bible has to say about sex, go to Google and type in, what does the Bible have to say about sex? And you'll be reading for about three hours, okay? Because the Bible has a ton to say about it. Why? Because God knows it's an important piece of our life, okay? But we're going to highlight a couple of them, okay? So flip over to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. I'm going to pick it up in verse uh, 18. And what I want you to think about, so that first view, the religious view that sex is dirty, I want you to see what scripture has to say against that idea. Proverbs 5, 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Okay? If the Bible thinks that sex is dirty, passages like this didn't get the rest of the memo. Right? Right? Like, like let her breast satisfy you. Okay? Like, that's not some weird, like, like this is a poetic uh, uh, example of, what are they doing? Sex. Right? Like, unless you guys know something that I don't know, like, that's the only time that my wife's breasts satisfy me. Right? Like, I'm not even really trying to be funny. Like, like what else could be going on here? It says, be intoxicated with her love. Isn't that a provocative word? Intoxicated. The Hebrew word there is actually the word that means to be led astray. Be led astray by your wife's love. Be lost in her. Be drunk in her, in her love. Be intoxicated. Be fully fulfill, fulfilled in the love of your wife. Enjoy her, is what this is saying. Man, that doesn't sound like sex is dirty at all. 
right? That sounds like it's something a whole lot more, okay? Flip over two books to the Song of Solomon, all right? Um, Song of Solomon, you can go to chapter two. While you're flipping there, let me tell you something crazy about this book, okay? Jewish boys were not allowed to read this book until they were 16 years uh, old because in that culture, that was the age of manhood, all right? And so men in that culture were 16 years old. There was a rite of passage and, and they were not able to read this. Why? Because it was so provocative that people thought it would create unnecessary lust in a younger man. No joke, okay? And so you look at Jewish rabbis, they say, hey, don't, don't read this book until you're of this age. And you gotta remember in that culture, there was a lot of arranged marriages and, and you got married very early. And so it was likely that at 16, 17, you could be married. And so then you can finally read this book, okay? They realized it was this dance of love that happens all throughout the Song of Solomon and they couldn't read this until they were men. It was like a rite of passage of sorts, okay? So for married people in the room, if you want an application for today, go home, read the Song of Solomon, and then apply it into your life, all right? You'll never realize that the Bible was so helpful for you until that moment, okay? It is good. It has good commands for you, all right? Um, Dan Allender, who's a counselor uh, and a biblical interpreter, all right, says this about this book. He says, The role of women throughout the Song of Solomon is truly astounding, especially in light of its ancient origins. It is the woman, not the man, who is the dominant voice throughout the poems that make up the song. She is the one who seeks, pursues, and initiates sex. She boldly exclaims her physical attraction. Most English translations hesitate in the verses. The Hebrew is quite erotic, and most translators cannot bring themselves to bring out the obvious meaning. This, again, is a prelude to their lovemaking. There is no shy, shamed, mechanical movement under the sheets. Rather, the two stand before one another, aroused, feeling no shame, but only joy in each other's sexuality. All right, so we just read the man, let, let me be intoxicated, let her breast satisfy. Now, here's the woman, okay? Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 3. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house. His banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So even in these verses, you see that it's, it's not dirty, but you also see that it's not just duty, that you have to be really careful. You have to treat sex carefully. Don't awaken this gift until it pleases, okay? But you see some of the depth of it here. Right? Like, like she is uh, 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 fantasizing. She's not even, they're not even doing this yet. She's just writing this poetry about how she longs to be with her husband. And so scripture is clear that sex is fun. Sex is beautiful. Sex is not dirty in and of itself. It's not something that we should be ashamed of. In fact, as we talk about it more and more, even in this sermon, I hope if you feel that shame, if you're one that kind of errs on the side that sex is dirty, that it begins to get released of that in your mind because scripture really does paint this as a beautiful thing. I would encourage you to, to if you struggle with that and, and you can't kind of get over that, I would love to chat with you and show you more of scripture. Talk with an elder, okay? Talk with uh, your, your community group leader or, or one of the elder's wives or whoever. We would love to kind of highlight all of the beauties that sex has to offer. But what I want you to see is that sex is not dirty, okay? Amen? Sex is not dirty, okay? It is not a dirty thing. So some will say, 
awesome then. The Bible says sex isn't dirty, so let's go have sex, right? And we have to be careful with that too. Because on the other side of it, we see that while sex is creative, it is artistic, you can't just have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want, however you want. The scripture also paints the negative aspects of sex too, that it's only with a spouse that sex happens, okay? And so the Bible tends to make kind of the, the prudish uncomfortable, the, the people that are kind of uh, uh, really secluded and, and they think uh, uh, this is dirty. It will make them uncomfortable in a lot of ways because it says, no, look at the beauties of sex. But it also makes the person who thinks they know more than God or, or know more than the Bible uncomfortable too because it says you can't just do whatever you want to do. This was created by God, not you, as something that he's intended to be a very beautiful thing, okay? And so it makes both sides uncomfortable in a lot of ways. Let me read some of the literally hundreds of verses on sexual purity. There are hundreds of verses on them, okay? You don't have to turn here either. They'll be on the screen, but I just want to uh, uh, highlight some of them for us. So Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse uh, 4, it says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Whoa. Wait a minute, right? Like, I thought we were just saying sex is awesome, right? And now we're talking about God's judgment. All of a sudden, that's a dramatic shift, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Okay, it seems that is as if using sex incorrectly may actually cause more harm than any other sin. And we'll kind of hit on this in a minute, but it really does cause more harm for every other sin is either just emotional or, or just physical or it doesn't affect the full gambit of who man is. But because sex is such a beautiful and an intricate thing, it's also such a dangerous thing where it could affect you physically. It definitely affects you emotionally, psychologically, and even spiritually. It affects the whole person person. And so we're saying, hey, be aware of this. Flee from sexual immorality because this actually can cause great harm on you. Okay. First um, Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, and many other places in Scripture, even you think about the Ten Commandments, which is kind of the standard of God's law or, or the way of living that he has laid out for us, uh, it says do not commit adultery, right? Now, when we think about adultery, we tend to think about cheating on one's spouse. That's how we use the term in today's language. But that's not the way that Scripture actually uses the term. The way Scripture uses the term is not honoring your spouse in general. And so if you are 18 and have sex with somebody who's not your spouse, and you don't end up getting married to, to that person, that's adultery, because you have not honored your future bride. Does that make sense? And so it's not just when you exit the covenant of marriage that you already have, but it's when you also don't prepare yourself for the covenant of marriage that God may be wiring inside of you. And so adultery is this, this huge thing, right? It's, it's not honoring your current or your future spouse by the way that you handle yourself sexually. Now, the romantics, okay, or the realists who think that sex is a duty or, or sort of a natural appetite may say that this is ancient language, right? The Bible is ancient. How could it be true? This isn't true. I can do what I want to do with my body or whatever it may be. And just like kind of the, the, the prude on this side can kind of say, ah, I don't really want to talk about sex because it feels dirty. So on this side, we can say, ah, uh, forget the Bible. It doesn't know what it's talking about because we think we know more than God often. But it's so ironic to me, okay? 
any single statistic that you go look at about sex will show you the dangers of sex. It's so funny to me because oftentimes we think that we're such logical people, but really we'll begin to read logical statements like how harmful sex is outside of marriage and we'll say, ah, whatever, I'll do what I want to do. Showing that we're not logical at all. We're actually very emotional. We actually act on faith. It's just faith in ourselves. And so sex in both ways has the ability to, to be harmful, right? And so we tend to think on this side, man, sex is just a natural appetite. But let's be honest in here, okay? Let's be honest. Every single person in here, you know that sex is not just another natural appetite. You know that. It's not just like eating or drinking, something that you just are supposed to do because you're a human. That's what humans do. Like everybody knows this, right? Like there, there's a mingling of the souls that happens during sex that we can't even really begin to get into all the intricacies of, but it's this beautiful dance that scripture always lays out. Everyone knows naturally that it's not just a physical action. C.S. Lewis argues it like this. He says, suppose you come to a country where you could fill a theater by simply bringing a covered plate on the stage and then slowly lifting the cover as so to let everyone see just before the lights went out that it contained a mutton chop or a bit of bacon, would you not think in that country that something had gone wrong with their appetite for food? All right? There's like two people that laughed at that. I thought that would get a little bit more of a chuckle than that. That's a funny quote, okay? Like, wouldn't you think there was something wrong though, C.S. Lewis says? Like, these people must be starving, if they're going to come and they're going to pay to watch a little piece of bacon, or there must be something really, really bad with the way that they view food. They do not view food naturally. They view it in a very unnatural way, is what C.S. Lewis would say. But we have more sex than ever in our culture, and it seems that we just become more and more and more infatuated with it, do we not? Like we just there at the start, $13 billion in porn. Okay, all of us have access at any moment. We have so much sex, yet we long for it more and more and more. Why is that? Because it's not like food that once you eat it, you can be satisfied. It's something deeper than that. Sex is a, a, a far greater thing than just a natural appetite. It goes past our physical man only and enters into our spiritual man. Sex is something more. It's, it's deeper. And so when the Bible warns us against using sex inappropriately, it's not trying to steal your joy from you. The scriptures were written that you may have joy and joy to the fullest. It's saying, I know how to give you complete joy. And part of that is your purity. Part of that is you trusting and realizing this, Right? We don't even need all of the statistics so you can go find them that talk about the dangers of sex. They're out there. But scripture says this too. God is for our joy, right? But, okay, once again, read Song of Solomon. Ecstasy can be found in sex. This, this beautiful creation that God has created. And so God must be both trying to protect us but also release us to experience something that he has longed for us to experience. The Bible says that sex is not just an act but it's a way to show a covenant with another person. And that's the third view, okay, is this delightful covenant. It's not just an act, though it is an act, but it's this way to show covenant union with another person, okay? Go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. 
And pick it up in verses 24 through 25, okay? In case you're not familiar with the scriptures, this is the very, very start. It starts in Genesis 1, God creates everything. And then in Genesis 2, it zooms into his creation, looking at man in in specific, God's crown of his creation, okay? And then all of a sudden, there's man and woman, and it says this. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You become one with someone else. It's a way of saying to another person, I completely and fully belong to you and to you alone. I give myself wholly to you. I am going to be one with you and with you alone. I'm completely naked and have no shame before you, for you are mine and I am yours. That's what it's meant to be, is a delightful covenant. C.S. Lewis once again says this. He says, the the monstrosity of sexual intercourse outside of marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one kind of union, the sexual, from all the other kinds of union, which were intended to go along with it and make up the total union. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, says this. Indeed, sex is perhaps the most powerful God-created way to help you give your entire self to another human being. Sex is God's appointed way for two people to reciprocally say to one another, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. You must not use sex to say anything less. Even think about what sex uh, produces, the byproduct of sex, right, is another human being. Think about the sacredness and the wonder and the mystery of that. In Genesis, what we just read, it says this phrase, it's bara ex nihilo. It's a Hebrew phrase. What it means is to create something out of nothing. So there was nothing there. There was nothing. And then God just, boom, and created something. And in a lot of ways, that's what happens when sex happens, is that a a, a man and a woman can come together and kind of create something out of nothing, another soul that's going to spend eternity worshiping God or eternity apart from God. Like, this is an unbelievable thing. Even the act of this shows the, the mystery and the kind of divine nature that happens upon sex. And it's a time where we get to reflect God unlike any other time, to be a creator in a lot of the same ways that he are, really in tune with our Imago Dei, the, the image of God inside of us. And so everything about sex, right, screams that it's something deep. It's not just physical, but it's also not dirty because it's mysterious, right? It's wonderful in a lot of ways. It's scary, it's beautiful, it's magnificent. All of this is happening as two become one together. This is what makes it so beautiful yet so dangerous at the same time, is that two should be becoming one. There should be a covenant that begins to be written at that moment. And so sex is beautiful for, for many reasons, but, but one of them is this covenant renewal that happens between a, a husband and his wife, a way of reuniting together. Tim Keller, once again, he says this. This is a little bit of a longer quote, but I think it's important. Also, before I read this quote, he's going to talk about communion in this. And at the end of the service, we're going to take communion and think about it. Even in light of what we're speaking on on sex today, it actually speaks to us about the beauty of Christ's relationship with us. Tim Keller says this, The ultimate covenant renewal ceremony is the Lord's Supper. 
The sacrament of the Lord's Supper renews the covenant made at baptism. Through the breaking of the bread and the pouring out of wine, it reenacts the selfless sacrifice of Jesus to us. In addition, in the receiving and eating of the sacrament, it reenacts the giving of ourselves to Jesus. We reenact the total commitment and oneness we have in Christ as a way of renewing and deepening that oneness. In the same way, marriage is a covenant, one that creates a place of security for vulnerability. But, through the, but though the covenant is necessary for sex, sex is also necessary for the covenant. The covenant will grow stale unless we continually revisit and reenact it. Sex is a covenant renewal ceremony for marriage, the physical reenactment of the inseparable oneness in all other areas, economic, legal, personal, psychological, created by the marriage covenant. Sex renews and revitalizes the marriage covenant. This is awesome, isn't it? This awesome, mysterious, wonderful gift that we have. And so if sex is dirty to you, it shouldn't be. It should be beautiful, If sex is just another thing, though, just something that's done between two people, it shouldn't be because that's cheapening sex. That's making sex lesser than what God originally intended it to be, which is why you're not fulfilled in it because you're making it lesser than what it actually is. So don't make sex lesser by making it dirty and don't make sex lesser by making it just a duty or or something you should do because you feel like it. Realize the beauty of it and that it's a delightful covenant between us and God, okay? Now, or between us and our spouse, But, okay, we haven't answered the question, like, why did God create sex anyway? Couldn't there have been another way that God created that would show a covenant renewal ceremony between spouses? Shake your head yes, okay, right? Like, there could have been another way, right? God could have been like, put your hands together, and that's the way that you renew your covenant, right? And there wouldn't have been a temptation. He could have left off these organs, and we would have been totally fine, not not all the trouble that we have, right? So why in the world does God create this anyway? Like, think about that, okay? What is God doing here? Couldn't there have been another way? What is it that sex is pointing us to, is what I'm asking? Because if there could have been another way, I'm sure God would have did it. But it must be that sex is actually not just in and of itself a way that he has given us to have delight, but it also must be something greater, okay? And stay with me here for a moment. We're almost done. This is an important piece, though, okay? Sex is ultimately a picture of the relationship that God longs to have with us, binding covenantal, never leave you nor forsake you, one, listen to me, one, you being separate from God and God being separate from you, he longs that you may become one together in Christ, completely new, fully uh, made who you were made to be, naked and unashamed before him. This is what God longs to have. See, some of us can feel shame when we're talking about sex because of our past sexual life or whatever it may be. Realize that in Christ, there is no reason to feel dirty or shame even about your past because in Christ, he has renewed this new ceremony with you. He has drawn you into himself and washed you clean and made you pure and made you a new person. This is a beautiful thing. And so we don't have to feel dirty or shame even if we've done what we feel are shameful things. God reunites him with himself. Listen to me. Even if you're a Christian and you choose to go do this today, do you realize that God has a covenant ceremony with you that he will keep drawing you to himself? He will keep winning you back to himself. He will not leave you or forsake you. This is a beautiful thing. You don't have to feel burdened. You don't have to feel guilty. God longs to be with you forever. And you should feel unashamed before God about that. 
because of the union that God longs to have. Sex is just a picture of the union that God longs to have with every single one of us, right? Let's look at this in scripture. Genesis chapter four, okay? Genesis chapter four. This is just after the fall. The fall is in Genesis chapter three. All right, this is the first thing we read after the fall. Genesis chapter four, verse one. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. All right? What does that word no mean there? Thank you. All right? Somebody doesn't feel dirty about it? That was scary. I didn't know what that was. <laughs> I kind of thought it was like a, a rat running around or something. <laughs> we would have been done with the sermon today. <laughs> that would have been it. All right? All right? Like, no, okay, no, all right? That means that they were intimate, they had sex, okay? That's what that word no means there, all right? Now, flip over to John chapter 17, verse 3. I'll be careful while the kids are passing. John chapter 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The word know is all throughout the New Testament, okay? And what is this word? The Greek word is gnosko, all right? And it's not just an intellectual knowledge. There is a, a word for intellectual knowledge. It's oida, and that's just to know something, to, to think it true in your head, right? Adam didn't think the right thoughts about Eve, and then she conceived and bore Cain, Right? And if you don't know that, then you really do need sex education classes, okay? Like, there was something that happened there. He knew her. There was intimacy. There was a union together. You don't just think the right thoughts about God and then have a relationship with him. You know him. Are you tracking with that? Like, this is more than just a head knowledge, though it is that too. But it's this emotional, spiritual, psychological, everything changes. To know God, that's what life is. And God says sex, the, the, the joining of two people is nothing more than a picture of what I long to have with you. You can know God. Friends, you can know the God of the universe. The God who spoke and all of what we see came into existence. The creator, the, the lover of your soul is the one who dances over you with loud singing and, and his steadfast love is over you forever. This is the God that you can know, not just in here, fully, all of you. This is what life is. This is what to know God means. There's something more, right? And so it's not just in your head. It's not just in your heart. There's this experience that happens with God. So sex, as it takes two people and unites them into one, so is true with our relationship with Jesus. That he longs for us who were once separate from God to become one with him. He wants to know us and, and us to know him, to be intimate with us, to be completely one with us. And this is what life is. This is why sex is so wonderful, yet so dangerous, and why God couldn't have created just another way. Because it's a foreshadow, a showing of the intimacy that he longs to have with us. There may be no greater picture, no more beautiful picture, than as two people literally, almost physically become one. That that's what God longs to be with us. Does your heart believe that? Does your heart rejoice at that truth? Does it, does it long to know God in that way? See, some of you have experienced that, right? You've experienced a moment where your heart was enthralled with the gospel. Your heart came alive with the gospel and, and you were made new. Things started making sense and it started just clicking to you and, and you were made different. Don't you long for that forever? That's what eternal life is. 
is that one day you'll have that over and over and over again for all of eternity. Man, that makes you want to smack something right now. <laughs> that is such good news. That is such good news, right? Relationship with Jesus isn't just emotional, but it is that too. It's not just logical, but it is that too. It's not just spiritual, the soul, but it is that too. It's not just psychological, but it is that too. Just like sex is not just physical, but there's so many things. So it's just true with our relationship with Jesus. And so God longs to know us intimately, and sex is pointing to this truth, right? It's a foreshadow of the intimacy that God longs to have with us. What a beautiful truth. John Piper says this. King Jesus came into the world to take a wife, not a harem, and not for sex, but to give her pleasures that make sex taste like cardboard. He paid for her with his life. And he is now at work by his spirit and by his word, purifying and beautifying her for himself and for her joy. And friends, this is true because of the gospel. This is what the gospel, this is what sex shows us about the gospel. God had complete intimacy with himself. Do you understand that? Before all of creation, there was this beautiful dance that we call the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in complete and perfect intimacy and union with each other. They had full love with one another. They had full connection. They had full oneness. God had it all. But he gave up that intimacy. He existed in heaven, but then he came down to this broken earth. Jesus Christ exited that union and came down. He died on the cross, and the Bible says that everybody forsook him. The father left him at that moment. All of his friends left him at that moment. There was no more intimacy to be had. He was completely separated from all that loved him. Jesus lost all intimacy. Why? So that you wouldn't have to. Man. How beautiful is that truth? Jesus gave up the greatest intimacy imaginable so that you may experience the greatest intimacy possible. That you may have Christ. This is what the gospel tells us. He died that you might live. He became enmity. He became incompatible. He became separated from God so that you wouldn't have to be. He lost intimacy that you may have intimacy forever. Friends, the gospel of Jesus shows us God's longing for us, but it also shows us the joy that could be had in him. Just as sex is a, is a representation and we know that there's a joy, there's, there's an ecstasy here. Man, that's what the gospel has for you. This intimacy, this union with God, with you, friends, God longs to be in a delightful covenant with you. Not a burdensome covenant, a delightful covenant. Not just a rule-bearing, rule-keeping covenant, a delightful covenant with you where he cleans away this, this dirty and he doesn't just do this out of duty, but he does this because he delights in you, as we read in Zephaniah 3 earlier. Now, I was going to end the sermon, okay, by sharing with you guys some of the ways that I've experienced this deep, deep intimacy with Christ, both on a day-to-day -day basis, honestly, and in euphoric ways, stories that probably would make me sound a little bit crazy, okay? Like, it makes me long for heaven more than anything I can think of, knowing that one day I will experience this intimacy everlasting. I long for that, okay? But instead, I want to do something, okay? And it may be a little bit awkward. Um, hopefully not. Hopefully it doesn't feel awkward to you guys. Um, instead of uh, sharing my experiences, I want you to experience him for a moment, okay? And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time trying to just listen to God, 
to listen to what he has to say to us, praying in our hearts, listening to his voice, letting him comfort us with his covenantal love, whatever that might mean for you personally, experiencing, knowing, being intimate with him, even in just these few minutes here, okay? On each one of your seats when you came in, there was a verse, all right? And there's a different verse on almost every single uh, uh, seat in here. Did that somewhat purposely because I wanted you to see the broadness of God's love for you that's all throughout Scripture, that a hundred plus people can all receive something that's different from the Word of God, right? I'm going to have the band come up, so y'all can go ahead and come up. And what they're going to do is they're, they're just going to play here for about three or five minutes, okay? And I'm not going to preach, okay? We're not going to talk. We're not going to do anything out loud. What I want you to do is I want you to just sit. I want you to just hear from the Lord for a minute. I believe that what God has for us What he has for you is a sense of intimacy. He wants you to know him. He wants to be close to you, to to love you. Friends, God wants intimacy with you. And so on that verse, man, read it. If you don't know what to do, if you're not used to seeking the Lord, maybe you're not even a Christian, maybe you don't even believe in God, that's fine. Tell him that. Tell him, God, I don't believe in you. And maybe God will begin to reveal to you that he is real, he is good, he loves you and longs for you. Maybe you haven't sought the Lord in a long time, that's okay. Allow this to be a covenant renewal ceremony at this very moment. But in whatever way it may be for you, read that verse there. Maybe you can journal. Maybe you just sit in silence and listen for the Lord. Okay, for the next three or five minutes, that's what we're gonna do. And then I'm gonna pray um, to close us out. So let's spend some time just listening and seeking the Lord.